Paxton Quigley is rolling out the green carpet, talking to the creme de la creme of innovators and influencers who are shaping the world of cannabis and culture. Welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. Hello to all of you cannabis aficionados out there and welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. Today, we're going to be talking about a national organization to reform marijuana laws and Playboy. And you, you might wonder, what, what, what's, this, what, what's going on here? But we'll get to that. Um, first, I got to say, congratulations. Uh, Normal is now 50 years old. They've got an anniversary this year. And Playboy is in its 67th year, which is really amazing. So I'm really happy uh, to have on, um, I, I want to say the famous, but I won't say the famous, but some people have called him the first politician of pot, Mr. Marijuana, or the Ralph Nader of pot. So with us is Keith Stroop, he's founder and legal counsel for Normal. Hey, Keith, welcome to High Society. Thank you, Paxton. Lovely to be with you. Thank you. Okay, you were a real maverick, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, when I think back about it, because in those days, uh, everyone was so blatantly anti-marijuana. This was in the in, in the early '70s, and of course into the '60s. So, can you give us kind of a, a, a brief history of how, when, where, and why did you start normal? <laughs> Well, to be honest, um, it all had to do with the Vietnam War, and in particular, the anti-Vietnam War movement. I graduated Georgetown Law School in 1968. It was just at the height of the Vietnam War. And frankly, most of my, many in my generation, we couldn't figure out what that war was about. And we certainly were not anxious to be drafted and sent over there to come home in a body bag. Most of us had had colleagues from college, unfortunately, who uh, had been killed in Vietnam. So as I was getting ready to graduate law school, I was uh, frantically looking around for a way to stay out of the war. I went to see some lawyers at the National Lawyers Guild who were helping uh, what they used to call draft avoiders, draft evaders, uh, draft dodgers. They had a lot of names for us at the time. And uh, they offered, for example, to set me up with some people in Canada if I wanted to leave the country. That was one alternative that a lot of anti-war protesters were doing. But the problem with that was you weren't certain you'd ever be allowed back in the country. And that seemed a little dramatic for what I needed to do. But with their help, um, I had been offered a job for by a presidential commission called the National Commission on Product Safety. It's an important sounding group because it was created by Congress and the commissioners were appointed by the president. Uh, so my draft board ended up with the help, my lawyers helped me file this request for what was called a critical skills deferment. And if you could convince them that the work you were doing at home was more important than instead of sending you to Vietnam, you should serve your two years back home. Well, my draft board actually granted that critical skills deferment. So I spent the two years I would have been in Vietnam working for this presidential commission. And coincidentally, the commission had been created because of the work of consumer advocate Ralph Nader. So 
during those two years, I was turned on to the idea of public interest law. I'd never heard of it before, but it's where you use your legal skills and your law degree to try to impact public policy rather than to represent individual clients. So by the time the commission ended, I was 27 years old. I was then too old to be drafted. For the first time, I had a choice what I wanted to do with my life. And by then, I was really interested in doing public interest law. But I'd started smoking weed when I was a freshman at Georgetown Law School in 65. So I thought, why don't we start a public interest group to represent the interest of marijuana smokers and less in marijuana prohibition altogether? Now, did people think you were crazy that you you came up with this scheme, so to speak? Well, yes. I think a lot of my friends thought that I had gone out on a, a little bit on a tangent. Um, and I must admit that I was nervous at first, too. I remember at the time, uh, former U.S. Attorney General Ramsey Clark was a person I was relying on for some guidance and advice. He had, he had published a book called Crime in America in 70 or 71, that I'd read in which he called for the legalization of marijuana. So I had uh, gotten to know him a bit and I, I went to Ramsey and I said, Ramsey, um, is, is this crazy? You know, I'm thinking about doing this legalization thing, but I, on the other hand, I, I hope I'm not throwing away my legal career and ruining my life. Life And Ramsey was wonderful. He said, first do it. It's important. Somebody needs to do it. And number two, he said, do it while you're young. So if you if you fall flat on your face, you can pick yourself up and get started yeah. again. So, um, yes, I, I certainly had people alerting me that I might be making some uh, self-destructive decisions. On the other hand, before very long, um, we were off and running and with the help of Playboy, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about. Uh, we began to get the funding where we could hire professional staff and really begin to make an impact. Okay, now, did you know Hefner at all, or how did you get introduced to him? Uh, what, 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 was, what, what was happening there? Um, it was actually, I, I did not know Hefner and certainly didn't even know the Playboy Foundation existed. But I'd become friends with a number of Ralph Nader's uh, assistants. They used to call them Nader's Raiders when they came to Washington, D.C. and worked for a couple of years. Um, and one of them by the name of John Esposito, at one time I was visiting with him at the early years, and he said, Keith, have you applied for funding at the Playboy Foundation? I thought, well, hey, it sounds good to me. Sex and drugs, they, you know, they sort of seem like they ought to go together. Uh, so I ended up applying. And after a, a procedure where they sent someone out to interview me, they then ended up having me come out to the Playboy Mansion in Chicago uh, for a Playboy Foundation board meeting to which Hef uh, attended himself. So um, I By the way, up, was Richard Rosenzweig at that Oh, of meeting? course. Dick yeah. Rosenzweig was there. Uh, also, yeah. Burton Joseph. I Margaret, know them all. <laughs> Margaret Standish. I'm sure yeah. you know all of those people. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was really a fascinating time. I was young and naive, so I, you know, I wasn't quite sure what I was doing at the time. But as a result of that, Hefner got behind the project. And as you probably knew, uh, Hef had quit drinking years before that. He only drank Pepsi-Cola at that point. Too but much did, of it. <laughs> but that's right. But he did enjoy smoking marijuana. And so uh, in addition to knowing that it was the right thing to do because we were destroying so many lives, he was also a marijuana smoker that wanted to, he wanted to be able to smoke marijuana and not worry about being arrested. So uh, we obviously formed a, a, an alliance and a friendship that lasted for a long time. Now, how much did he initially give you? Was it around 50000 Did I read well, that? No, no. The first time, oh. uh, when I when I left that first meeting, I had asked for 20000 which when I think about it now, wasn't really very much money. But to me, it seemed like a lot. 
Well, after I got back from that meeting, I got contacted by the foundation, Margaret Standish, telling me they were offering me $5,000. Oh. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my goodness, what am, you know, uh, what am I going to do? I had a job offer pending. I had a wife and a young child. And I thought, man, that $5,000 isn't going to last very long. But Margaret convinced me that, look, take it. Do a good job. There will be more money, assuming that you can show us that, you know, you're you're building a, a serious program. So I jumped off. I took the leap of faith. And as it turned out, within a few months, Playboy was uh, comfortable at a level of giving us about 100000 a year wow. in cash, as well as two full-page ads in the magazine. And each, each one of those would bring in tens of thousands of dollars because – uh, back then, Playboy, I think, had a, a, a subscription list of over six million, and each magazine was passed around to at least four people. So you were reaching 20 million people when you had something in the magazine. So uh, it ended up being wonderful support that allowed us to flourish during the 1970s. Well, I also was with Playboy, and I'd like to tell the story because it does involve you a little bit. And this goes back to 1980 when I was. I was hired by Christy Hefner uh, to be uh, in charge of the West Coast Playboy Foundation. And that was very exciting to me. I had never done anything like that before, but I, I, I took it on. So she had said to me, uh, after she introduced me to everybody at Playboy the first day, she said, I'd like you to come to dinner and meet Hef. She didn't say my dad. She said, Hef. And for sure, I wasn't quite sure who she was talking about, but I, I finally figured it out. So I went up to the Playboy Mansion, uh, which is up in Holmby Hills, and it's quite a fabulous place. And uh, I walk in there uh, a little bit late because I got lost, and she was waiting for me. And she says, come on into the dining room. And I go in there, and there's a long table. And at the head of the table is Hefner, dressed in his silk pajamas. And to this day, I still even remember what color they were maroon. <laughs> but the other great thing was Bill Cosby was there. Oh, yes. He used to spend a lot of time. Oh, there. did he spend time? And and uh, what's his name? James Conn, the actor. Yes. And Bill Cosby loved my name, Paxton Quigley. He did a whole routine on me that I was a football player of all things. <laughs> and we had a wonderful time talking. And then after, after dessert, Hef stands up and he said, OK, we're going to the game room. I don't know what the game room is, but I say, <laughs> what am I going to do? I follow along and we go into a, a, a separate cottage that's loaded with different pinball machines because I didn't know this also. Hef is a, or was a, a real addict when it came to pinballs. Yes, and uh, Christy is kind of helping me along with the pinballs. And all of a sudden I smell marijuana. <laughs> and I go, oh my God, what's going on here? And, and all of a sudden, Literally, Christy is handing me a joint. And I'm thinking real fast, what should I do? What should I do? This is not legal. What do I do? And I said, okay, calm down. Um, this is your boss and she's smoking. And I take a hit, pass it on to Hef, and then Hef passes it on to the rest of the people. And then it comes around again. And again, everyone takes a toke. And this stuff was really strong, <laughs> I got to tell you. And, but it was wonderful strong. And we go and we play for, you know, at least an hour hour or so, maybe even longer. And I, I decide, okay, it's time for me to go. I just kind of felt it was time for me to go. And I said, um, 
you know, I'm going. And they said, no, no, stay, stay. And I said, no, it's, tomorrow's my first day on the job. And then Christy says to me, oh, I forgot to tell you, there's a fundraiser here tonight and I want you to come. I said, okay. Um, I didn't even ask her what the fundraiser was, but the next night I got off work early to go and change and look nice for this fundraiser. And I go up to the mansion, uh, open the door and Christy greets me again. And the first thing I smell is marijuana again. And it's really a lot. And there are literally probably about 200 people there. And uh, I'm like, shocked. And she's, I said, you know, what's going on? And she says, oh, this is a fundraiser for national organization to reform marijuana laws. And I go, oh my God, <laughs> you know, I couldn't even imagine that this was happening. And she says, I want to introduce you to Keith Stroop. Now, I know you don't remember me, but I remember you because you were a big shot with with uh, with with Playboy. So that was my introduction to Playboy. Well, and, we, we actually and had to you two, and to you and normal. We had two of those in the uh, the uh, L.A. mansion, one in, I think, 77 and one in 78, maybe. And we had one also I believe it was a little earlier in the mid 70s at the Chicago mansion as well. Those were good times. And you're right, by the way, that is a beautiful mansion in, in L.A. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And unfortunately, it was sold off and uh, they, they don't have those kind of parties there no, anymore. No, I, don't no. Think I think it's a, it, it's become a, a boring place. But I'd love to talk with you more, but we've got to take a commercial break. More High Society with Paxton Quigley coming up after we hear from our privileged sponsors. your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Plant Profits. I'm Vern Davis, and I'd like to introduce you to some of the most forward-thinking executives and companies in the cannabis industry. We call them the Plant Profits. Each week on Plant Profits, we talk to the people at the forefront of the industry, creating real companies and career opportunities. We'll learn from the people leading the charge into the promised land of profit. Plant Profits is powered by Protus Global, people solutions firm that has been building companies, changing lives since 1995. P-R-O-T-I-S global.com. Protus Global. Find Plant Profits now at CannabisRadio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. 
SmartPots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, SmartPots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? SmartPots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million SmartPots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for SmartPots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Paxton Quigley is back talking to the connoisseurs of cannabis and culture on High Society, only on CannabisRadio.com. Okay, now I want to talk about the new Playboy. Obviously, uh, it was sold off when Hefner died. I think he died, what, two years ago or three years ago? I can't even uh, remember. Yeah, I don't either. As I yeah. get older, everything seems like yesterday. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't yesterday. And it, apparently his sons took it over, tried to make a go of it, and and it just kind of faltered, and, and they, they, they ended up selling uh, Playboy. And... Now, though, it's really interesting. It's online. You can go to playboy.com. They've got lots of articles, and they've got a couple of articles uh, on cannabis that are really interesting. But there's something else that they decided to do. They they decided that they wanted to support what you would call socially equitable cannabis organizations. And uh, they had a a choice of a, a of a number of organizations and pick the following. And I hope that you know something about them because I think they're, they're, they're important. One was the Cannabis Certification Council. Then there was the last prisoner project. And um, I think there are two or three more out there, but they're all socially um, conscious organizations that are dealing with with marijuana issues. Can you uh, give us some information about that? Well, um, we were flattered, actually. They included Normal in that article as well. I think they had five groups, and the, the other four were focused more, I think, on what they call social equity. What that has to do with it, it's really quite a high-minded effort. It is recognizing that in the 80-some years of marijuana prohibition, uh, the black and brown communities have been uh, disproportionately impacted by them, uh, even though we smoke at approximately the same rates, roughly 14% of the adult population of are marijuana smokers, whether you're white or brown or black. But the arrest rates for black and brown Americans are at least four times as great, and in some parts of the country, eight times as great as are for white smokers. So in order to undo some of that harm that's been caused. In some of the states that have been legalizing marijuana, they've been proposing, and in at least a half a dozen states, they've enacted laws and regulations that require a percentage of the licenses, if you're going to be a licensed grower or dispensary or seller or whatever, that a certain percentage of those be set aside for communities of color. I think now, a, do you know what the percentage is? Is it like 20% or is it only 10%? Well, it's different in every state that's doing it. For example, okay. Maryland is doing it, but they've been taken to court by some people who were upset because they, you know, their application wasn't granted. And I think there's at least one other state where they're in litigation. This is never as simple as it should be, but I think roughly 25 to 30% 
of the licenses are being set aside for minority communities. And again, um, you know, for some people, they think that may be unfair. But if you look back on the impact of prohibition, uh, that was also unfair to those communities. So I, I'm all for the new social equity provisions. And I appreciate Playboys uh, giving them some attention. Now, I know one of them that I had mentioned, and I don't know if you know anything ab about this one project, is called Last Prisoner Project, because as you had said, uh, a lot of black and brown people uh, are being arrested at a much higher rate, and they're in jail now. Uh, do you know anything more about that organization? Well, I, again, I certainly admire. They're very focused on making sure that all nonviolent marijuana offenders are let out of prison. And certainly it's something normal supports as well. And there are some states where they have begun to let nonviolent marijuana offenders out. Uh, not all of them, but the majority of them, the ones that didn't have serious charges. Um, obviously, any time that you're you're trying to convince a majority of the American public uh, to let people out of jail, uh, there's a lot of skepticism. They're worried about, uh, well, have they reformed their lives, whatever. Well, remember, these are people that the only thing they did wrong was they either smoked or sold marijuana at a time before it was legal. But it is now essentially legal in in uh, 13 I know in 12 states in the district of Columbia but 33 states have legalized it for medical use and most people can qualify under that if they wish to so uh, obviously we don't want to leave anyone behind as we make this transition from prohibition to legalization for Christ's sake let's get the marijuana prisoners out of prison if there's no violence on their record let them out now Good. I totally agree with you. Now, there's another organization. Uh, it's called Minority Cannabis Business Association, and it involves physicians. Uh, and it's an organization that I know uh, Dr. Jan Janice Knox is involved in, and I've, I've uh, had her on a couple of times on my previous show. Do you know more about that organization? I don't know them individually, but I will tell you that, for example, in New York City, there's a group that's now affiliated with Normal called the Cannabis Cultural Association. And again, it's comprised primarily of, of people from the minority communities who, for a long time, were not actively involved in the legalization movement that they've been stepping up. Our, our Chicago Normal group is minority-led. This group, Cannabis Cultural Association in New York City is. So again, it's all part of this recognition that if we're going to legalize marijuana, let's legalize it and allow everyone to benefit from not from that, not not just the, the people who've been privileged in the past. Okay. Now let's talk about normal. They they've given you some money, and how are you using it um, in in terms of of making change? I'm sorry. Don't oh. uh, who's giving me money? Who are you saying? Um, Playboy. Well, uh, actually, we haven't gotten any funding from Playboy since the late 70s, early 80s. And again, uh, as long as uh, during that first decade, when I was running Normal because of the relationship with Hef and Christie and uh, Bobby Arnstein and all the good folks at Playboy, uh, for seven or eight years, we were getting 100,000 a year plus those free ads. So they, and by the way, not just that, 
there's a section in that magazine, or used to be, I don't know if it's still there, called the Forum, where they, it's kind of their news section. So anytime we would be successful at getting some kids out of prison who'd been locked up on marijuana charges or whatever, some version of that, they would cover it in the magazine. And so for tens of millions of Americans, the first time they ever heard of normal was because it was in Playboy magazine. But in the late 70s, um, I got in, involved in a brouhaha with Jimmy Carter's drug czar, a gentleman named Peter Bourne. And as a result, Peter was outed for snorting cocaine at a normal party. He ended up having to resign. I ended up having to step away from normal for a few years. And during that process, unfortunately, the folks that were running normal did not have the same relationship with Playboy. So we haven't been receiving any funding from them for a number of years. Uh, by yeah. the way, the other magazine that did step up was High Times, uh, starting in seven. Established High Times magazine, and during the eighties, nineties, and and since two thousand, uh, they have been our primary, our largest single funder. But again, almost like a parallel to Playboy, in the last couple of years, unfortunately, that magazine was sold to, to some folks who have no connection with marijuana legalization and couldn't care less about it. So we used to get three, four, five thousand dollars a month from from High Times. Once it went to these guys, we don't get any money from High Times either. But that's fine. We're doing well. So Keith, I would love to continue talking with you, but we've got to take another break. More High Society with Paxton Quigley coming up after we hear from our privileged sponsors. Trends and technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more on the cutting edge of cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The cutting edge of cannabis. Consulted by the American Cannabis Company. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint Business and cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Candid. Captivating. Compelling. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Welcome Sorry to Cannabis Confidential. Oh, you got me again. All right. Uh, you got me again. Welcome to Cannabis okay. Confidential. Ah! <laughs> hey, we did it. We did it. Hey, Welcome. I have the coolest guest today. You guys already know. The one and only Tommy Chong. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Cannabis Confidential. Paxton Quigley is back talking to the connoisseurs of cannabis and culture on High Society, only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back again talking with Keith, Keith Stroop. 
He's with Normal National Organization to Reform Marijuana Laws. And I wanted to ask you what you see now is the future for cannabis. Is it going to be still a long process? Uh, and what is Normal doing in terms of, of, of going forth? Well, remember that when we founded Normal back in 1970, it was as a consumer lobby. We wanted to represent the interest of marijuana smokers, not the industry. But so long as marijuana was still defined as a crime, and we had at one time as many as 850,000 Americans being arrested every year in this country on marijuana charges. By the way, it's still over 600,000. So we've still got a lot of work to be done. But as long as marijuana was defined as a crime, uh, we couldn't uh, advance some of the consumer issues that we really care about. However, now that we do have uh, 12 states and a District of Columbia that have legalized marijuana, 33 states that have legalized medical use, we can begin to focus on some of the nuances of legalization that still remain to be problem. For example, even in states where marijuana is legal, if you're a couple that has a young child and a nosy neighbor smells the marijuana and calls the child welfare agency, they start off presuming that if you smoke marijuana, you're an unfit parent. They send someone out to your house to inspect it, to see if, in other words, if you're a marijuana smoker, do you have a filthy house? It's unsafe to raise children in. Uh, then they make the parents pay for and take both a drug education course um, uh, and a um, 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 drug, Sorry, there. They, they make people take a drug education and a parenting course, assuming, again, that just because you smoke marijuana, you're not a fit parent. Well, that's that's stupid. That's based now, is this nothing. happening in, in a lot of states or, oh, or oh, pinpointing it, states? Uh, no, it's, it happens almost every state. I would say I probably get three or four calls a month from someone who's fighting to maintain custody of their minor child. Another case, even in the states where they've legalized marijuana, most private employers are allowed to continue to drug test and to, to require what they like to call a, a drug-free workplace. It's not drug-free because their employees go out and drink beer over lunch all the time and they don't think anything about it. But it means that if you smoke on the weekend um, and you come to work on Monday and get a drug test, you're going to test positive for THC, but you're not impaired on the job. There's no reason that should cost you your job. But in the majority of states, they're still free to do that. So we want to have job protection, the protection against unfair job discrimination. DUIDs in a number of states, at least a dozen, they have what they call per se DUID laws. So that if they pull you over for a driving offense and they give you a breathalyzer and you pass it, they then take a blood test. And if they find THC in your system, you are per se guilty. They don't have to show that you were impaired, just the fact that you had some THC in your system. So my point is we are now at a place in a number of the states where we can demand that the marijuana be tested by a laboratory. We want to make sure it has no dangerous pesticides or moles or heavy metals in it. Uh, we want it labeled accurately. We want to know the strength of the THC and the CBD at a minimum. And so it's really an exciting phase for us. We can now begin to focus on the consumer aspects that we couldn't deal with for a long time. Now, are you, do you get involved at all with CBD products and hemp products, or are you staying away from that area? We, with CBD, we kind of advise people to be careful. Uh, most of the CBD that is sold online 
uh, claims to be legal in all 50 states, and it's not at all. The vast majority of the states, CBD is not totally legal. And even where it is, it has to have less than 0.03% THC. Well, when when they, there have been media groups go in and, and test and sample these products, they find out, number one, they almost never have as much CBD as they claim. They almost always have some THC, often enough that would cause you to fail a drug test, even though you, they were selling it, claiming you could pass a drug test. Um, and a lot of times it has heavy metals in it and other dangerous pesticides. So what we suggest to people is uh, beware. If you're in a state that has full legalization, where those CBD products have been tested in a state laboratory, then you can assume that they're safe. Otherwise, don't buy them on the black market. You don't know what you're getting and probably you're being swindled. Wow, that's that's really good information for a lot of people because I I get a lot of people who will call me thinking I'm the expert in all that about what's good or bad. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are, are shall we say, befuddled. Uh, And some of them are, you know, so-called normal non-marijuana smokers, but, you know, they've got a pain in their arm or or whatever it is. And I can't really tell them, uh, you know, which is bad and which is good, et cetera, et cetera, because Right now, there's so many different products out there. It's amazing. And they seem to be happening every day. A new one is coming online. And by the way, I don't mean to suggest I don't think CBD itself can be very therapeutic. It can be. There's no doubt about it for a lot of aches and pains and people use it on their skin. A lot of a lot of reasons. But the, the, the problem is you don't know for sure what you're getting unless you're buying it from a state where uh, it's been legally tested in a state certified lab. Well, uh, I, you know, we've been learning so many things from you today. I, I, we got to have you on again, Keith. But why don't you give, and I, I know it's easy to give the website so people can go to your website, hopefully give you some money and at least get some information. What is your website? www.normal.org. Remember, normal has no A in it. It's an acronym, N-O-R-M-L dot O-R-G, because we're a nonprofit. We appreciate your support. And in fact, uh, we expect over the next five, six years, we're going to legalize marijuana all across this country and restore a measure of personal freedom to the lives of tens of millions of responsible marijuana smokers. Well, I hope that our listeners have listened to you and can feel positive about the future. And again, Keith, I thank you very much for being on the show. My pleasure. And uh, let's not wait as long as we did this last time. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you to all of our listeners. And meanwhile, if you want to stay in touch with us, you can see us on Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn by going to High Society with Paxton Quigley. And so until next time, stay healthy, stay balanced. And if you can, stay home. I'm Paxton Quigley. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.